welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Hey, welcome to the weekend, everybody. We are so glad you're here with us. We've had a great morning uh, in the presence of the Lord, worshiping God, spending time in his presence. And I know that we are going to continue on having a great time together. So I encourage you, grab your Bibles. Let's get ready to hear what God is saying to you because sometimes he speaks to you through the words that maybe I'm talking right now, but God is going to say something that is going to change you and transform you and make your life look new in him. So I encourage you today, get something ready to write with so that you can keep track of what the Spirit of God says to you. We're continuing on in our series this weekend, uh, our series called Relationships. Not relationships, relationships, R-E-A-L, relationships. And today's message is called, It's Not What You Think. Look around your room, find somebody, point at them, say, hey, It's not what you think. It's not what you think. So we're going to jump into this message. I'm excited about it. God's got some great things he's going to say today. So if you have a Bible or a device of some kind, I want you to turn there with me. We're going to go and start in the book of Genesis of all places. It's not what you think. We're starting in Genesis chapter 29 today. It's not what you think. We're just going all different places. Genesis chapter 29. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And we're going to start off in uh, verse... 14 and a half, 14b. Um, and just some background for you here. This is uh, Jacob, and Jacob has just ran away from home, basically. His, his, his mama sent him away because he tricked his daddy. Um, you know, if you, if you know your Bible at all, you know that um, Jacob and Esau were twins, and Esau came out first, which meant that he got the birthright, and Isaac was getting old and was about to die, and so he wanted to bless his oldest son, Esau, but um, Jacob's mom heard about it, and through this whole set of circumstances, she helps Jacob trick his father so that his dad thinks that he's blessing Esau, but really he's blessing Jacob. And so what happens is Jacob receives the blessing, Esau finds out about it and gets furious. His mom says, hey, you need to go away for a while because your brother is probably going to do some serious damage to you, so get out of here. So Jacob packs up his stuff, and his mom sends him to go live with her brother, which is far, far away. It's not like now. It's not like Jacob got in a car and drove 30 minutes, an hour, two hours down the road. Jacob either had to like walk or ride a camel or something to get maybe a horse or a donkey to get from where he was at to far away, and it was hundreds of miles away to where he went. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of this. He's just got to, to his uncle's house, Laban. And so in Genesis chapter 29, uh, 14b says this, After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters, and the oldest daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her dad, he said, hey, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Verse 19, 
Laban says, agreed. I'd rather give her to you than to anybody else, so stay here and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Let's just pause here for a second. I think this is the longest engagement that I have ever heard of. Seven years. Seven years. Jacob shows up. He meets his family, and he falls in love with Rachel. He says, hey, Leah, you are nice. Uh, You are a nice cousin, but I do not want to marry you. Um, Rachel, you are beautiful, and I'm in love with you. And so he says to her dad, I will work for you for seven years. Now, It's not what you think is what we're talking about. And so in those seven years, Jacob had a lot of time to begin to imagine in his heart and his mind and and inside of himself what marriage to Rachel was going to look like. He began to imagine what their wedding night was going to look like. He began to imagine what life together was going to look like. Seven years. You Come on. You can imagine. You can, you can put yourself in that situation and say, man, seven years this guy had time to dream up and to think about and to watch other marriages and to watch other people come and go through their life and say, that's what my marriage is going to look like. My marriage isn't going to look like that. My marriage is going to look like this. My relationship aren't going to look like that. My relationships are going to look like this. He had a lot of time to imagine and dream and think about what his marriage, and so did Rachel. You know, you know that in seven years, Rachel had all this time. She was registering all over the place. She was going to Zohan's rug bazaar and registering for rugs for their carpet and or for their tent and, and all these kind of things. They, were, they had time to plan and they were imagining what life was going to be like when they got married. Because it's what we do. It's what we, it's what we think about. We plan. We make plans. We imagine. We think. We see ourselves in the future. It goes on here, and it says in verse 21, Finally, the time came for him to marry her, and he said, I've fulfilled my agreement. Uh, now give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. The New Living Translation is very direct here. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night... When it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. Now, Leah, remember, is the older sister. She's not the one that that, um, Jacob worked for. She's not Rachel. She's not the one that Jacob was in love with. She's not the one that Jacob was dreaming about and imagining his life. And Rachel was was somewhere in the midst where she wasn't involved in this this situation. She was waiting to be married to her, her fiance, and her dad goes and gets her older sister and said, can you imagine that? It says, but in the night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. Now you say, how, how, how could somebody sleep with somebody else and not know it was the wrong person? Okay, so just so you know, first of all, this was thousands of years ago when there was no electricity, there was no night lights, there was nothing around to to bring illumination. It was candles and stars and moonlight. And what they did back then was they covered these people up in a wedding veil. So it wasn't just the wedding veils we have now that cover part of your face and you can see through them. These wedding veils covered the whole person, covered the whole body. And so it was dark when they brought her in. And so that Jacob didn't really know who was who. He just assumed it was his wife. But his dad did the old, or his father-in-law did the old switcheroo and brought Leah instead of Rachel. And here's what happens. In verse 25, when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah 
It was Leah. When Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. It's not what you think. Some of you today can be sitting around. Listen, this message applies to people who are married. It applies to your close friendships. It applies to your families, your family members. We are talking about it's not what you think. And we're going to talk about what love really is. And it's not what we think it is. This is what we're going to talk about. So Jacob had built up all these ideas and expectations of what he thought married life was going to be like with Rachel. And Rachel, I'm sure as well, had all these expectations of what she thought married life. And she couldn't wait to begin to have babies with Jacob. And she couldn't wait to start their life. And she couldn't wait to start decorating their own tent and setting up the kitchen and the bathroom and making sure that the, the toilet seat lid was down. And there was a little doily somewhere. And there was she was just, she couldn't wait to begin to plan and, and, and make their life begin. But what happens is this old switcheroo, and then you see it in the morning, Jacob wakes up and he says, this isn't Rachel, this is Leah, what's going on? And he is furious and he's upset and he's disappointed. Some of you in your life are saying, I am in my marriage, I am disappointed, I am disheartened, I am disillusioned. Maybe you're depressed in your family, in your relationships. Maybe you look at your kids, maybe you look at your spouse, and you're saying, these people are not, this is not the Rachel I thought I was marrying somewhere. I married a Rachel, but I ended up with the Leah. How did I go from Rachel to Leah? How did I go from this is what I had at the beginning to hear what I have right now today? And you've become disappointed and disheartened. You look around at the relationships. You look at your close friendships. You look at your kids. You look at your spouses. You look at your siblings. You say, this is not, this is not the expectation that I had. And here's what I want to say to you today. This is my first point for you. Is that disappointment will ride into your life every time on the shoulders of unmet expectations disappointment will come into your life every time sitting on the shoulders of unmet expectations. And here's what happens. The world and society and culture and media have given us unrealistic expectations of what love and relationships and family are supposed to look like. And so they are shouting for our attention. And so we hear what they're saying. We see what they're saying. We listen to what they're saying. And what you look at and what you listen to and what you think about gets inside of you and it becomes part of who you are. Can I get an amen? I heard that. And so disappointment, when you have these expectations in your life and your expectation isn't met, what happens? Disappointment shows up. Depression shows up. Disheartedness shows up. Dis-ease shows up because things aren't what they were supposed to be. Things aren't what you expected them to be. Now, what I want to ask you is, what are you basing your expectations of your marriage on? What are you basing your expectations of your kids on, your family on, your friendships on? Are you basing those expectations off of what society and what culture tells you they should look like? Are you basing them off of what watching your favorite movie or TV show says, this is normal and you should expect it? Or are you basing your expectations off what is in here? The word of God. Listen, I want to say to you today, somebody is watching this and I want you to know. 
I want you to know if you begin to line your expectations up with what is written and what you find in here, you will not have depression and disease and you will not have disappointment and disheartedness because you will see that love as the world tells you is not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. Jacob spent seven years working for Rachel, planning, falling in love more and more, couldn't wait to be with her, couldn't wait to marry her, couldn't wait to to have babies with her, couldn't wait to start his life with her. He had an expectation, and don't you imagine, I mean, we don't read between the lines real well here, but you can imagine if this was you and this happened to you, now the chances are pretty slim that this would never happen to you, but if it was you and you found yourself in this place, you know how you would act. You would be so disappointed. And I want to tell you today, if you're lining up your expectations based off of what Taylor Swift is singing about, if you're lining up your expectations off of what the latest movie or the TV show or what the latest psychological news briefing tells you, if you are lining up your expectations off those things, you are going to be disappointed. But I want to tell you, it's not what you think it is. What the world tells you, what society tells you, what culture tells you, what media tells you, some aspects of that may be true, yes. But at the heart of it, it's not what you think it is. We're going to look here. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. And you say, oh, I knew we were going to get there. And yeah, we are going to get there. So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at this together. And I want to say this thought to you. You know, part of being married and having close relationships, a big part of it might actually be about you. Yeah. Part of marriage and having relationships in your life and having people that you bump up against all the time, part of God's plan is about you in there. But it's just not about you the way the world has told you it's about you. It's not about what you get and receive and how you feel. It's about God working his love in you and refining you and molding you and shaping you and showing you what true love is. The relationships are just the opportunity that he takes to reveal to you what real love is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your marriage, your kids, your family, your friends, all those close relationships that you have in your life, all those relationships, God uses those relationships. Yes, 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 yes. It's good to have them and they bring things to you. Yes, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying beyond some of those things is God uses those relationships. God uses those people. God uses your spouse. God uses your kids. God uses your friends. God uses the times when there's frictions and when you're hurt and when you're misunderstood and when you're having misunderstandings. God uses those times. He uses your relationships as an opportunity to show you how to love properly and to show you what true love really is. So I haven't even got to 1 Corinthians 13 yet, but let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. 
And we're going to read from verse 4 to the end of verse 7. And then I want to show you something out of here. I'm a visual person, and so we're going to put some words on the screen after we read this, just so you can see it for yourself. It says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Isn't that powerful? And as I was preparing for this message, the Lord spoke to me, and he told me to do this. I'm going to try and do this on the screen for you. He told me to put this into two columns so that you could see this for yourself, and it really worked for me. And so what I want to do on the screen, I want to show you right now what love is. On one side, I'm going to have love is, and on the other side, I'm going to have love isn't, so that you can see it. So we have that love is patient, and love is kind. Love is patient, love is kind. Now let's look at what love is not. It's not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not demanding, and it's not irritable. Love is patient and kind, but it's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude or demanding or irritable. These are the things that love is. Let's see what love does. Love does rejoice in truth winning out. Let's see what love doesn't. Love doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Love doesn't rejoice in injustice. Love doesn't rejoice when bad things went out. So love does rejoice in truth. But it doesn't keep records of wrongs. And it doesn't rejoice in injustice. Now let's take a second and just look at what love's character is. And hang on, I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang on. This is good. This is good for us to see. This is good for us to understand what real love is because... For a lot of us, love is not what we thought it is. For a lot of us, we have based our ideas of love off of what society has told us, off of what culture has presented to us. And see, the thing is, is that society and media and culture and the world are screaming these things at you. They are bombarding you with, this is what real love is. This is what family dynamics should look like. This is what close friendship should look like. This is what your marriage should look like. And they are screaming them at you. Everywhere you look, there is movies, there's music, there's magazines, there's things everywhere that are constantly bombarding you. But the truth is found in here. And, and this, unless you open it up, Unless you crack this book open, you're not going to know what this book says to you about all of those things. You need this more than anything you need in the world because everything you're going to find in the world is simply, now hear me, is an imitation of what you will find in here. Did you hear me? What you find out there, what you find in media, and what you find in society and culture in the world is a replication and an and, um, imitation of what's found inside these pages. You must. People hear me. Family hear me. Children hear me. Parents hear me. Kids hear me. You must open this book and begin to read it and find the life that you need so desperately in these pages. Okay, the character of love we're going to look at. So we looked at what love is. 
We looked at what love does, and now we're looking at the character of love. It says this. Here's the character of love. Love does this. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love always is hopeful, and love endures through all circumstances. What I loved about this is, you know, you've been probably told that you can never say the words never and always. You can never say the words. When you're in a fight, don't ever use the words never or always because they're absolute words and they're not true because you can't say, well, you never do this or you always do this. People will say, you can't use those words because they're absolutes. But what I love, what I love, what I love when I was reading this is when it comes to love, true love, godly love, God's kind of love, you can use the words never and always because love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love always is hopeful, and love always endures through all circumstances. I hope that helped you a little bit. I hope on the screen it helped you see this comparison list of what love is and what love isn't. And I hope when you see those things, you can begin. I pray the Spirit of God is pointing things out to you, showing you this is where you're at. This is the things in your life that you need to remove and let me replace with these other things. You could say, Jake, why is this so important? Why, why, why are you trying to tell me that God uses my marriage to perfectly form love in me? Why are you trying to tell me that God wants to use my relationships? Why are you trying to tell me that God wants to use my family to form his love, his character inside of me? Well, simply because of this. In 1 John chapter 4, Verses 7 and 8, it says this. First John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anybody who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want to say this to you. This is so important for us to learn the real version of love, not the false expectation of what the world tells us the real understanding, the real wisdom, the real revelation of what love. It's so important because love is the defining quality of who God is. God is love. And in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus is talking and he says that they will know you are my disciples by your love. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says that we were made, that he created us male and female in the image of God. Meaning that if God is love, then that means inside of us we are supposed to be love. And Jesus said in John chapter 13, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. Love is supposed to be who we are. When you go home to see Jesus and people are left here on earth talking about you, one of the greatest things they should say about you is that person had so much love for everyone. When I think about this person, all I can think about is the great love, not fake love, not false love, not imitation love, like American cheese. You know, it's called cheese, but it's really just plastic. It's not that fake love. It's the real love. It's the God kind of love. So many of us have a misunderstanding of love. And even when we read 1 Corinthians 13, let's go back there for a second. Even when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we read it as a concept or an idea. But I want to read this to you. 
Because if 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love, and that's his defining quality, then I want to take just our last few minutes here, and I want to reread this to you, and I want to put God in there, because God is love. And what it will help you do is realize that love is not an unattainable attribute or characteristic, that this kind of love that is being talked about, you can aspire to, that you can achieve for yourself, that you can begin to walk in these things. In your marriage, hey, listen, I'm talking to you today. If you're in your marriage right now and you are unhappy in your marriage and you are not seeing things in your marriage the way that God, you know that God desires them to be, if you're looking inside of your kids and your family, if you have friendships in your life and they're not working out the way that you know that God desires them to be, God is wanting to look at you. And not, it's not, we're not supposed to say, hey, listen, I'm acting right. You're acting wrong. You're the problem here, not me. What happens is, is you begin to look in the word of God and say, hey, God, help me line up. Help me look more like love. And as God works inside of you, what real love looks like, what happens is, and I promise you this, what happens is, is when God begins to work inside of you, these attributes of love that we're going to look at, you become more and more like him and you are able to love your spouse or your kids or your friends the way that he would. And so when there's frustrating circumstances, and when there is hurts, and when there is pains, and there is wounds, you are able to walk in love in those situations, and you're able to walk through those situations by the power of the Spirit of God enabling you, and you are not caught up in the hurts and the wounds because you are loving the way that God is calling us to love. So real quick in our last few minutes here, 1 Corinthians 13, I want to read this to you. We're going to say this. God is patient and kind. God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand its own way. He's not irritable and he keeps no record of being wronged. He doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. God never gives up. God never loses faith. God is always hopeful and God endures through every circumstance. And what I want you to do in these last few minutes, I want you to find yourself in this scripture. And if you're having a hard time in your marriage, only you know. Only you know the deep hurts and wounds. If you're having a hard time in your family, if there's family dynamics at work, if there's division at work, if there's uh, separation at work, if there's things with your kids that they're, your kids that you, 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 you like, I, I raised you better than this. I raised you to be a Rachel. I had expectations for you, and now you're acting like a Leah. Not that Leah act bad, but the point is, is that you're expecting one thing and something else is happening. If you can look in your life and see that what is is not what you were expecting, I want you to go back and begin to find yourself in these scriptures. Find yourself in this word. Put your name in here. Where it says love, I want you to say your name. Jacob is patient and kind. I'm not always patient and kind, but I'll tell you what. If I begin to find myself in this word and I begin to read this over myself and I begin to say Jacob is patient and kind and Jacob is not jealous. Jacob is not boastful or proud or rude. He's not demanding his own way and he's not irritable. The more that I read this, the more that it gets inside of me and the more that it gets inside of me, the more it becomes part of me. 
And as I become part of it and as it becomes part of me, God's character is being formed in me so that when I have, and we never have issues, me and Jen, but if I ever did have an issue, I've got the character of God being formed inside of me, causing me to walk in his love. And I put my expectations in him and in his word. Not in what the world says, not in what culture says, not in what music says, but I'm putting my expectations in him and in his word so that I am not disappointed, so I don't find myself disheartened in my marriage, so that when I look at my kids, I'm not disillusioned, I'm not afraid, and I'm not saying what's going on because my expectations are in God. In God is love, and love endures through every circumstance, and it never gives up. And never loses faith, and it's always hopeful. I hope this helps you today. I hope that you can see yourself in these passages of Scripture and that the Spirit of God is ministering to you and speaking to you right now. Our heart's cry is not just to have church, but to be people that are transformed and changed by His Spirit every time we gather. We can't gather like we normally did. We're gathering in a new way right now. And listen, I know it's weird and we've kind of gotten used to it, but listen, God can still and is still working and moving and through this camera lens to wherever you find yourself today. So Father, I thank you for your word that always brings truth that always brings healing, health, wholeness, and life. Father, I thank you that you are working and doing a work that only you can do. Father, I pray and I ask that you seal these words in our heart, bringing transformation and change. May we be people who reflect your glory, who reflect your love, and who point all we encounter to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, amen. Have a great weekend. See Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.